We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, everybody. It's Kirk Henderson and Matthew coming to you from Mavs Moneyball. We're doing another preview podcast here because we have this uh, interesting, and I rather like it, even though it makes the series take forever, two-day break between Games 4 and Game 5 as the series heads back to Los Angeles. Um, Matt, how are you? I'm good, but not as excited about this series as I was earlier. Yeah, we're we're pretty... We were pretty excited before the Game 3. I think that was when we did the the last preview pod. I didn't do one for Game 4, obviously, because of the just short turnaround. I don't want to flood people's feeds with content. But it's it's interesting because, and just so everybody understands, we're recording on Memorial Day evening, um, which, you know, we've not heard from the players. We don't really know anything about Luca's health. We're just sort of... We just kind of wanted to get together and talk a little bit about this because after having a day to process uh, the rather resounding ass kicking the Mavericks took in game four, it felt like, you know, enough time had settled to where we were less reactive um, and, and had kind of thought about the game. So, you know, you right right before we we hit record, you know, you were saying you're you're not as what what was the word you're 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 feeling a little more positive than you were at this point last night so so why don't you start telling us uh, why okay so just as everyone was saying that our shooting was going to come back down to earth after the first couple games and eventually and it crashed really hard um one of the things i pointed out was that we were getting a lot of looks from really good shooters and that our season-long percentage for the team shouldn't matter as much because those weren't the guys taking shots well even in game four we still, 25 of our 33-point looks were by Luca, Tim Hardaway Jr., KP, Maxi, and uh, Jalen Brunson, which combined to shoot 39.4% for the series, or for this regular season, not counting Luca because he's a little bit separate. And those guys were four for 25 on threes. And, I mean, it's not, like, don't get me wrong. We got our butts whooped yesterday. 
Like, it's not just that, hey, we just happened to shoot poorly and, you know, other than that, it's tough. But if we make threes, say we make, you know, if we make 35, 40% of the threes, then we, then it's a much closer game. It's just completely different. Now, obviously, any positivity is based on the belief that Luca is going to be 100% healthy. If yeah, he's or not, at least better. He was real bad. Honest, yeah, honestly, I think it has to be 100%. Because okay. my, the big point that I had for the series is that they had to stay, the Clippers had to stay big because if they didn't have a big out there, then Luca was always going to create an advantage. And if, and if they didn't have any rim protection there, that advantage was going to lead to buckets. The problem is, if Luca is not 100%, he can't create advantages, and we don't have anyone else who can create those advantages. So it's fine for them to go small with the four big wings and Reggie Jackson and Rajon Rondo. And when they do that and Luca is diminished, we look real bad. It was, um, it was interesting. I was listening to – I'm about halfway through it, but Zach Lowe did a kind of mega podcast with different ESPN people, and it took Tim McMahon about – you know, they probably talked for 15 minutes, Mavs Clippers, and it took him about halfway through to kind of get to the fact that the Mavericks have to play KP for political reasons. And I just found that so fascinating. I just, I really did. Um, and, and I don't know, I don't see how they can keep, if they, if they go small, if, or, you know, rather if they try to match some of the Clippers smallness, I don't know what like and they but they still have to play KP is that really even going small? Like what what do you think some of the potential solutions are? Because I'm of the opinion after having thinking thought about it for a day that he saw how Luca looked and I almost feel like Boban in that entire game was like a red herring. Cuz I mean they yeah. played some wildly bad lineups. Like some of the worst lineups I've seen all year. Yeah, actually, it's um, we joked about it during the regular season that that Carlisle didn't want to have people to have tape on us. It's almost like a regular season game. Like it, that game was very similar to a regular season game that was like the last game of the season, and you were already locked into your seedings, and you knew you were going to play that game in the playoffs. Because it's either that or Carlisle just panicked early because we played some crazy things. I mean, but the problem because you know I know you've heard the same as I have all of the. You know, a lot of overreacting, fire Rick, blame Rick, you know, Rick's right. the problem, yada, yada, yada. And guys, Mavs, fellow Mavs fans, that's just insane. Um, like, there are things Rick does that infuriates me, but that guy is a basketball genius. He is the second best asset that this Mavericks franchise has. Luka is the best. He is second, not KP. Like, he, we do not need him to leave. The problem is, is he just, there's a limited amount of options. Um, and for me, I don't think the answer is necessarily to sit KP at this point. I would sit Maxi before I sit KP right now. Okay. I would not sit Maxi in game five. Um, because most of the time I've seen, when I've seen people talk about going small, they mean put Maxi at the five and put, you know, Josh Richardson, or I've seen some people say Josh Green, or, you know, just a variety. Something, of right. Someone. Um, like, Maxie's been as <laughs> sorry. Maxie's been as bad as KP defensively in the series. Like Maxie has gotten just utterly destroyed. And I've seen several people say, "Well, you know, we stick him on Kawhi, and he can do a credible job." Nothing about this series has been credible. No. The last time I've seen someone get murdered this much in a one-on-one matchup that is supposedly a defender is when Dirk absolutely 
ate Serge Ibaka alive against the Thunder way back in 2011. Mm, that's a good take. And, and if we were Mavs fans and we had heard the Thunder saying, hey, you know, we're keeping Serge Ibaka in there because he's doing a great job on Dirk, we would have just bust out laughing. Yeah. And I promise you that's how the Clippers fans feel about us. Yeah, we're keeping Maxi in there because he's containing Kawhi. Kawhi has a true shooting percentage of 84% the last three games. He's that's not insane. being contained. But and at some point, you would think that regression would come to him because it'd be really hard to shoot that if no one was out there. Yeah. His shooting, yeah. His shooting splits over the last three games are literally, and these are rounded, but 72-60-91. That is, that is just stunningly ridiculous. And if, And honestly, some of it feels higher to an extent because the kind of looks he's getting – the, you know, the, the, I think when we talk about Maxi playing Kawhi as a good defender, you think back to game one and then part of game two, where you live with the 15 footers, like the, the kind of medium mid range ish shots, the, the 12 to 15 footers. The problem is where he's getting on his sort of, I can't remember. It's, it's like, it's, you know, he's, he's facing up and then backing down and, you know, just kind of getting in on space, like the same thing. Um, the same thing that that the the Denver center uh Jokic does Jokic. and it's he's getting eight to ten foot shots and sometimes six foot shots where you I'll look at like the shot <laughs> and it's it's he's not missing those and he I mean literally not missing those and it's a, it's a difference of seating ground and Maxi just can't do anything about it and the, the help isn't threatening um at all and I, I I just don't know what else they really do because if they do go small and they're like, oh, well, Dorian's going to get eaten up. Well, you're basically saying there's not enough acknowledgement of Maxi getting eaten up, right? Yeah, like we're, we're already getting eaten. That's the thing is I mentioned before one of the other or after one of the other games that there's a difference in, you know, levels of being cooked and we are as cooked as it can be right now. One of one of the issues that we've had forever is that we are an incredibly comfortable team to play against. But, and that, that's the issue that we have with Paul George right now is that Paul George has realized that we're not, we don't do anything. Like we don't, we're not going to send a weird book at him. We're not going to double him. And so as long as he does something, as long as he is just calm and maintains his dribble, he can get to the rim and Dorian can't do anything about it. And we don't have hope once he gets there. And mm-hmm. so he's realized that, hey, as long as I take my time and get to the rim, I'm going to score. And he's not even shooting, though. Paul George is an extremely good shooter, and he's shooting like 31% from three over the last three games. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, like, that's one of the things where we may have some aggression coming from some of the other shooters, but if it's like I said about the Clippers defense when we were shooting high earlier, you have to turn up the intensity to expect the regression to kick in because – if you're just continuing to give people that are in a rhythm just wide open jumpers, it's not a good strategy to expect them to miss because over a large enough sample they will, but a seven game series <clears throat> is not necessarily a large enough sample for that regression to kick in. Yeah. And I mean that's that plan is over, you know, a hundred games or so it doesn't necessarily apply to that small of a sample size. Right. Um, and the Mavericks whole rules are built to force guys who are bad at those shots to take those shots. And these guys aren't <laughs> like superstars well, break that mold. And the other problem we have is from a, um, you mentioned roster construction. I know a lot. 
we have so many limited offensive players in the name of having quote unquote defenders. And the problem is they're not good defenders either. Yeah. We, we have, I mean, you know, we start to win and I don't want, I don't want to be too rough on Dorian because Dorian is absolutely a win as far as player development and where we got him to have an undrafted player that has developed the way he has and has been good for an extended period of time. And it's sad that he's hit mid, that is the clock has struck midnight and he's turned back into a pumpkin apparently, mm-hmm. but it is, it, he is just out talented. I mean, there's a reason that he was undrafted and is playing for you know four million a year. And Paul George just signed a two hundred million dollar contract. Paul right. George is more talented than he is, and that's not that's not going to change. Um, as for what we can do, I, it's weird because I both want us to do this. Like I want Josh Green to play. I want his his energy, and I want him to I want him to just give. Kawhi a different look and everything and I also think our fans are delusional for thinking that we should fire Rick for not trying yeah. <laughs> not playing him because we're doing stuff and I guess those things sound incongruent but it, it's I want us to try that but I also understand that trying to play Josh Green like you're hoping to buy 10 minutes if uh, that I mean it, you you yeah. might be trying to buy like six possessions like oh, yeah. just I mean, something I mean, like, to give somebody a spell so that they don't pick up their fourth foul. Yeah, and I'm I'm at ten so I definitely can't be. Oh yeah, because yeah. because you, you're not because the thing is you're you're definitely not. If Josh Green guards for very long, one he's going to foul him because as soon as Kawhi does one of the little up the little up fakes, like he's gotten Maxi on several times, mm-hmm. Green will bite on it and Kawhi will jump into him and shoot free throws. Yeah. Two, um, I think that he flops a lot, but. At the same time, he gets calls. There are smart moves to make to get calls. All NBA players do it, so I'm not trying to complain about that. But Josh Green, if he plays for 10 minutes, it would be amazing that he is not fouled out if he has guarded Kawhi for all of yeah. those. Yeah. Because, and and that's just one of the things. I just want us to give him a different look there. Sure. I feel like like when, when people talk about defending Dallas and defending Lucas Pick and Roll, all of the commentators and coaches and everyone that people listen to is clear that when a player is that great, you can't give him one look for an extended period of time because he will solve it. And it, so giving them – so when you talk about solutions, it's not trying to be like, you know, we do this and it's solved. If if you could do one thing and solve a player, then that player is Dorian Finney-Smith, not Kawhi Leonard. Mm-hmm. If you can just say, hey, we'll do this and it's solved, the player is worse. But So when I say, like, hey, I want us to try this, but I would like us to go trap. I would like us to trap Kawhi hard and, like – Real hard, not just semi trapping like we've done a couple times where he's comfortable. I just really want us to do anything to make them uncomfortable, mm-hmm. which they managed to do to us for the last six quarters, and we have not done to them at any point, even the first two games that we won. There was a play, and it's not fair to pick on Tim Hardaway Jr., but it just sort of stands up in my mind. And I want to say he forced Reggie Jackson right. It was left wing, it was early on. And he was overplaying Reggie's left hand, which I don't know why, and essentially ushered Reggie Jackson into the lane for a layup. And I remember exactly the play. Yeah, I remember the play you're talking about. I, I, it felt very emblematic of the Mavericks' problems because one of the things you've been talking about is just how comfortable they are in their dribble moves. And when you think about what happens for Dallas – Anytime a Dallas player dribbles, it it feels like a oh shit situation. Uh, and that includes Luca. And it, it's just sort of that difference in approach where the Mavericks are sort of inviting 
some of these things, it feels like, and, and there's no real urgency to get the ball out of either player's hand. And I, I where they attack from, both of those players get really interesting, like free throw line extended area looks, you know, wing type things. And if yeah, I'm thinking back to a lot of the situations where Rondo was playing point guard and they switched, you know, like he was Brunson was guarding Rondo and Kawhi would switch on or he Brunson would switch on to Kawhi and then they try to double and then they kick out. I just kind of I, I just think they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. I do tend to agree with you about um, giving them a different look, at least every, you know, now in that because Kawhi's just so freaking comfortable. And and it's it's really I don't see that slowing down at all. I mean, it, it's it's wild that they you know in, in retrospect, it's wild that they won some of these games with these guys shooting this good in the key. Yeah, I mean the only the the plan would be obviously if you wanted to go super small, you have to get or not even really super small, but more athletic would be to get some minutes. They don't have to be the starting minutes, but let Willie Collison play center, and then no other big out there. And then hopefully you just be super athletic and able to move and everything. The downside to that is, and Willie, Willie has been, I would say, probably our best defender in this series, which makes me very sad because he has not been good. Um, and I feel like on this team, actually, for what we've done this this series, I feel like the answer is not best defender. It's least terrible. Uh-huh. Um, but even when we do that, he just makes boneheaded moves. And so we're just – there's not really an answer. That That's the thing. And it, it goes to, to, again, to roster construction, because if you look at this team, almost no one on this team besides Luca would you look at and say, hey, this guy is a good NBA basketball player. It's all people who are good with Luca. You know, hey, this guy can not use the ball, and Luca can get him and he can hit corner threes if it's yeah. going. Or, you know, Maxi, he doesn't need the ball at all. He can, in theory, defend, which he has gotten – much much worse defensively. Um, mm-hmm. I think he's hurt, obviously, but even Maxi. Oh yeah, there, yeah. He has declined quite a bit from rookie in last year, Maxi, um, defensively. And then, but all these guys are we've gotten super low. And I understand prioritizing fit, and I'm even one of the people that talks about it sometimes. But we just need better players. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, and if that means Luca has to adjust them, and he can't run the James Harden. 36 to 40 percent usage rate so be it i mean that's just gotta come and i realize that can't fix this series but that's something we gotta do as for defending them i'm almost to the point now that i kind of want us to just build a, a Kawhi a, a Kawhi wall the same way some people build a, a Giannis wall and i realize they're too good as shooters to do this but just pump up the variance and say hey i'll take 73s in this game because that's what we're going to leave open and just hope that you miss. I know that that is the wrong plan. I know that that, like, intellectually, I realize that's a bad plan. <laughs> but mm. I don't want to get beat the same way for them. Yeah. In a row. If yeah. you get beat, at least make them show you something different. Like, because Kawhi is not going to miss it. And when you're talking about that play where Tim Hardaway Jr. just ushered Reggie Jackson to the rim, one of the things that I see with the Mavs is that we we seem to think that as long as we stay relatively close to a player and semi can test the way up, that that is what passes for acceptable defense on us, and that that is better than, say, reaching 
and getting just completely blown by. Yeah. But NBA players don't, and especially stars, they don't miss contested two footers. Mm-mm. Like they just don't. Well, unless so, you're unless you're you're J- Josh Richardson and Dorian trying tip ins. Yeah, absolutely. But and Kawhi didn't tip in yesterday. We're talking about how ridiculously he shot, and yeah. one of his, I think, four misses was <laughs> a tip, wide um, open tip. <laughs> um, so it's just we we see this, and I really think that our best wing defender in this series has been Luca. Which, and again, it's the least terrible because he's gotten picked on some too, but we've all been bad. And so I don't understand any objection to putting Dorian on Kawhi. Maybe you put Dorian on Kawhi and you try to bog their offense down and say, Hey, cause he's going to put, cause Kawhi will post Dorian and say, Hey, hopefully it bogs their, their offense down and other people get out of rhythm because they post Kawhi 17 times in a row. Yeah. They might score on 15 of them, but hopefully the other players are out of rhythm. Well, um, let's, let's pivot to the offensive side of the box. We've somehow managed to talk defense for like 15 minutes and the defense is obviously the problem, but what happened last night was a sort of sum of all fears offensive problem. You mentioned Lucas health earlier. That's obviously key. The thing that I, I hope to see is Dallas role players doing anything. When you, you look at the box score, they scored 81 points. Luca and KP had, I think 18 and 19 respectively. Um, and then every everybody else, like Boban had some points, but the offensive production was a bloodbath. And obviously the Clippers defense has amped up in a big way. But what I'm really curious about is past like Tim Hardaway, just not, you know, he Tim just has these games. Like whether he has another two and the Mavericks are just out of the playoffs, like that, that might be a thing that happens, but I just don't foresee him having multiple, multiple rough games in a row like he did in game three and game four. But the the ones that I'm probably the most surprised about um, is the absolute regression to the mean for Dorian Finney-Smith, who has been, if you, know, you look at his counting stats, you're going to say, oh, well, he, he did this last night. He was fine. No, he was a non-contributing zero in a way – where two games in a row, he his little bread and butter options, i.e. the corner three and then sort of, you know, offensive uh, chaos through tippins and things like that, he was missing everything. I mean, I, I, I don't have his stats in front of me, but over the, you know, since he went really well, he played like four or five in game one. And then since then, I think he's shooting in the 20s total, like from the floor. And he's, it's not like he's not shooting at all either. I mean, he's shooting five to seven times a game and just missing everything. And when he's that bad, uh, you know, that just isn't it, it, it. Granted, it's not fair that the Mavericks expect this much from him, but it is what it is at this point. And he simply needs to stop screwing up because he was a, he was awful yesterday in almost every sense of the word, at least on offense. We already killed him on defense. Yeah. Well, I think, I think with him, he is from the field. I think he's a little in his head the same way Luca is from the free throw line. Mm. Is that he he realizes how poorly he's played. I mean, how could he not? And so now, and he knows he's without trying to go back onto the defense. He knows he's getting toasted. There's no way that you defend somebody one on one that much and get toasted as much as he has, and it doesn't seep into it. So he's trying so hard to get it back, and it's just not. That's just not who he is, and. Um, it wasn't just with him, but I saw it, like Tim Hardaway Jr. passed up two open threes last night. Maxi passed up a couple. Um, that's a problem. Maxi passed up a lot. We, mm-hmm. Yeah, whether or not we we make them, 
we those guys like live or die with it. They've just got to take open threes. It's honestly, even semi-open threes in, in Tim Hardaway Jr.'s case. Yep. If we run the offense and get them a look, they can't pass it up and reset with eight seconds left, especially with the diminished Luka, because you just can't create another quality look with the level of length and athleticism and defensive talent that the Clippers have out there. Because, honestly, when they're playing the four big wings and Reggie Jackson, the only guy that it's in just a ridiculous mismatch against for Luka is the point guard. And a lot of times they're playing it with Rondo, and Rondo's a giant mismatch, but he does stuff that makes that you can tell makes Luca uncomfortable. He does the little reach in where he reaches between Luca's legs, which is strange, but he does it, and Luca could do some things. But the other thing with that, I think Luca is so frustrated that Luca isn't actually trying to get to the foul line as much as he normally does, and I'm not sure if that's just from the injury or if it's a combination of things. But generally, one of the things Luca does is he'll do the little pump fake to get people in the air and try to jump into them, and that's the one call he consistently gets. Mm-hmm. And last night, I don't think he wanted to get fouled after he missed the first because he, he was 0 for 5 on free throws last night, and he clearly has the itch right now. And yeah. I don't think he wants to get fouled, and that's that's a bad thing to be for your primary offensive player to the point that if he does really get it going – <clears throat> sorry, if he does really get it going, I wouldn't be surprised if I was the Clippers. I might go to some hack of Luka. Yeah. Which, it's, if it's the game's really close, stunning. right? Yeah, absolutely. It's really stunning given how good he is at everything else. And But I, I really do because it, it affects him. Like, you can tell, and there's a thing um, that I see when I watch him, where when he's really worried about his free throws, he starts hopping between when he shoots the ball and when it either goes in or goes out. And when he starts doing that, he is deeply, deeply in his own head. And uh, I'm not sure if we have enough time. That's what I'm hoping for is for the next few days, he goes and shoots a lot of free throws and it loosens his neck up. Sure. Um, Sure. Because there's that. And then we've got to get more from Jalen. Jalen hasn't been, like, outwardly apparently terrible. But in the sense that if you look at his numbers, I think he's acting like, you know, 10, 11 points a game on semi-decent efficiency. But we just fall apart whenever Luka goes out right now. Yeah. And, I mean, it's tough to say, but, I mean, we've got to get more from him. And then I hate to kill the guy because I know you get enough crap for, for killing him all the time anyway. But if last night last night was the perfect example of where we need KP to be a second star, like a true star. Yeah. So oh, Luca yeah. was diminished. Luca did not have a good game. And KP wasn't bad. KP was probably our best player on the court last night. I would still take I would still say even the diminished Luca was better. But if you wanted to make an argument that KP was our best player last night, I I don't think it's as crazy as it might be on most nights. But that's just not enough. Like given the scenario, given what he's paid given just the way the roster is constructed, that's, that game last night was a game that KP's got to come out and have 35. And yeah. And he had, I think, 19 and 4. Well, and, and Iztok got into this in his post today. Uh, I love, love you, Iztok, for turning in 2,000 words um, after a, a loss. Real hero, hero ball stuff there, big fan. But he, he talked about how KP just can't get his own shot. And it's not – at this point – people get upset at these things. And I don't, when we say KP can't get his own shot, we're being literal 90 plus percent of his shots are assisted. 
and you give him a ball on a post up. And if you dribble more than twice, that's not an assisted shot. He, that means anytime you see him do anything this series where he's dribbling, it's unlikely to the point of being almost a zero effect thing that he is. He, he might've hit one the entire series. Okay. And I've kind of grown bored of talking about him because I've seen people swing to my way in a real wild sense to where I tweeted, I was looking for this today. It was like mid January. I said, the Mavs need to trade this guy. And he, he had just come back from injury. Wasn't fair. It was probably like his sixth or seventh game, but I'm just looking at the way he's moving. I'm like, this is, this is awful. And I got crushed for it. And rightfully so. I was probably a little bit early. But I never envisioned that he would look like this. I was thinking, okay, he's loafing. He's just not getting it back. He just can't do it anymore. And on either side of the ball, like this is a, this is a disaster. There is no healthy offseason for a guy who cannot move. You don't improve movement when you're 27 years old or 26, however old he is. He's been in the league for six plus years. It's very disappointing, and I, I've I've gone from being very frustrated to feeling bad, and that sucks. So I, I I just with him, we'll see what happens. You know, one game. Somebody Zach Lowe said today that one good game can shift the narrative, and he's right. But these fans who are telling me, and I love all y'all that interact with me, but anybody that tells me, oh, Dirk had a bad series too, yada yada. Dirk had nothing like this ever. Go look at numbers. They exist. KP is averaging like 4.2 rebounds a game, something like that. Like that's like Dirk, even when he was 37, averaged six a game. Yeah. One of the things I would like for KP to do is, and I understand that we worked on it and everybody loved it, the KP fadeaway. I would like him to take more shots where he is leaning towards the rim, specifically when he is guarded by the tiny people that are guarding him in this series. Because even if he misses, when he gets the post-ups to where he's, you know, five, six feet from the rim, if, say, Nicholas Batum is guarding him or, or even Paul George or Kawhi, if he gets that shot, if he is leaning towards the rim, if he is going forward, if he goes up strong, even if he misses, a lot of those shots will be very easily offensively reboundable for him. Whereas if he's fading away and he misses, the possession's over because we don't do offensive rebounds as a team. Like we, it is our fundamental philosophy, and which at this point in time I disagree with because we can't defend anybody anyway. Right. So. Um, I might even be to the point and just say, hey, guys, all five of you, go, go crash the glass, everybody. We're, I would love going. that. That, that like, like, they're terrible in transition anyways. <laughs> yeah. I wish they would do and that. They're terrible, and they're terrible in the half court. So at this point, <laughs> I mean, like I said earlier, with Colossian, 84% true shooting percentage, What what's the point of being so worried about getting, getting a set defense? Just, I mean – we're trying to go all offense. We, uh, as you mentioned, his talk. We he pointed it out before the series that our Luca, Tim Hardaway Jr., KP, threesome, all of those lineups were absolutely terrible defensively, and so that we <coughs> by starting them, we made the decision to try to outscore the Clippers, which I understand and I think is the correct decision because we don't have a lineup that we can say, hey, we're going to go out defend the Clippers that can right. incredibly create a shot. So. If we're going to do that, then do what you decided to do and commit to it. 
So if we're going to go all offense, then at least let at least turn KP and Dorian loose and say, hey, y'all are gifted offensive rebounders, offensive rebound. Um, also, with that, by saying I would bench Maxi. I'm not entirely certain who I would put there. I wish DJ Redick was healthy. I would I would want it to be him. Um, but since he's not, it probably default to Josh Richardson, which. I'm not excited about that. I'm not any more excited about that than you. But just Maxi doesn't move on offense. Like he stands still. Um, he's I think he's in his head as far as threes go, because in this series he he also knows that he's getting cooked, and so it's kind of like what happened last series against the Clippers, where he just he got in his head and he couldn't make a shot, and mm-hmm. he's not shooting more confident. So if we're at that point, just assume start Josh Richardson as bad as that sounds. But a Luca Richardson, or even start Brunson. Um, uh, Luca, another guard, Tim Hardaway Jr., Dorian, uh, KP lineup. Yeah, we've already mentioned we're going to struggle defensively. We're, we're giving up what is the upper bounds of what is possible to score in an NBA game, uh, in an NBA offense anyway. Yeah. So, you know, go, go for it. If we're going to go all offense, then truly go all offense. Don't go all offense with, well, you know, we'll kind of just a little bit hang back and, and keep a guard that is of no use. So that is something I would like to see. Um, I would like to completely do away. If, we're not, if he's not going to do that, I would just assume not ever to okay keep the ball in the post because not only is he not particularly good at once he gets the ball in the post, we can't throw him the ball in the post. Right. Our, our, our guards are stunningly bad at post entries. Unbelievably bad. Yeah. And Boban playing actually illustrates that because one of KP's weaknesses is that he's not very strong. And so he gets – like he'll have post position and he'll throw it to him and his defender will sweep around him and steal the entry pass, which is actually a lot of times on him rather than the inbound passer. But Boban is an incredibly gifted sealer because of how huge he is and his base. And we had some entry passes to him stolen because they're just terrible entry passes. Yeah. And stuff like that. We struggle at a lot of fifth-grade basketball things. We're really good at a lot of high-level things, but we struggle at a lot of things that you do that you learn in fifth-grade basketball, like hey, how to feed the post, how to when people trap us, how to how to beat a trap. And it's just that is what I would like to see is those things. And I mean, I, I really do though. I think that what we're we're obviously going to have to be hot to win, but I I would like to see us take a ton of threes. I would like Luca to shoot some more layups, and as long as he's healthy, I do still think we have a puncher's chance. I, it sounds weird after all of this, you know, just killing the defense and all of this. The Clippers are going to score a lot, but I, I really do think that as long as we go out there and we run our offense right, if Luca is healthy, I still think all of the same things I said earlier are true. They still switch too much. Luca can still create advantages, for, presuming he's healthy, and we still have good enough shooters that if they're open and willing to take them. I think that will cause them problems. This has been very good. You've, you've, you've really, we've talked more than we intended, but that's fine because there's, there's a lot to say about this, but I, I, I think my concluding thoughts would be that the Mavericks were not near as good as they looked, but they may not be as bad as they've looked the last couple of games either. I'm going to be very interested to see what they come out and do. Uh, 
it's not a make or break thing. This playoffs is so weird. You know, the Lakers are going through and like everyone has injury issues and, and really sometimes championships are just a matter of who gets hurt the least. So it's, it's about surviving the little things. And if the Mavericks were to, they're in a best of three right now, basically best, best two out of three. Do I think that the Mavericks can win two out of three games against the Clippers? Yes, I do. Uh, do I think the Mavericks can lose two out of three games against the Clippers? Yes, I do. So, so this is, but this is kind of why we watch, you know, it's, it's been a, a textbook example of why we didn't want the Clippers the last two games, but I'm, I, I, I just can't shake the fact looking back on that game with some, with some reflection in mind that the Mavericks were throwing things against the wall to see what would stick. Nothing did. And now they're back to the drawing board. Because when Luca looked that bad, that was just a hard pivot. I mean, a lot of people are like, well, "Why did Luca go back in the game?" Luca went back in the game because Luca wanted to go back in the game. Let's be clear: that guy is a competitor. He wants to shake out some of his sense of feeling with that arm. Um, it's going to be uncomfortable. And love yeah, and I love yeah. I love Luca, but he wants to protect his numbers too. Like, mm, I, I yeah, love Luka. but he actually he made them worse. A lot of things. I, I know, but he he. When we talk about people, a lot of times everybody will be like, oh, he doesn't care about the box score. This is not a criticism of Luca. I love Luca. Luca is my favorite player, so don't take this as a criticism. But Luca absolutely knows exactly how many points, rebounds, and assists he has in every single game, and he does care about what his averages are. He doesn't care about them more than he cares about winning, but he absolutely does know what his numbers are, and he does care. Well, here we are. We've talked for 35 minutes, and we've had fun. So I think we have a, I don't know if we're going to write that much more before the series starts, just because there's, you know, at a certain point it's like beating a dead horse. Um, but there's been, you know, a lot of good coverage on Mavs Moneyball. I think we'll probably have some more stuff after game five. Um, just to kind of, I know it's, it's really easy to be very negative uh, when things are not great, but right now the, the it's two, two and the first team to win a home game may win the series. So we'll see how it goes. Um, do you have anything else before we move on out of here? That's it. All right. Well, this has been Kirk and Matt. We've had a good time here. This has been uh, Maz Moneyball After Dark previewing Clippers Game 5. Like, subscribe, tell your friends, and we will talk to you in a few days. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.